Well, I want to start by just drawing your attention to some things about our awesome Heavenly Father, the creator of the universe. And I want to remind you this morning as we approach this truth in Daniel 5 or 4 and 5, that he has, as an infinite God, created the universe and he operates it by some rules. In fact, even in uh, Scripture, we find God himself talks about certain laws that just cannot change. For instance, in, in the universal aspect of things, we understand that there's the law of gravity. And that's just something that kind of works every time, doesn't it? Have you ever noticed that anytime you drop something, it just seems to go down? <laughs> I've never dropped anything that's gone up, you know. It's just the law of gravity. Uh, there's the law of numbers or the law of mathematics. For instance, this will never change. Two plus two equals four. And that's about the extent of my mathematical um, uh, knowledge there, so I'll stop right there. But the law of numbers, the law of mathematics, this is the law of uh, economics. You, you just will never change this, this law, and it is the law of supply and demand. It's just a rule of the way that God has governed the universe according to certain laws that, that just will not change. And just as the physical world has certain laws and, and rules, the spiritual world has rules. And one of those rules is, is the title of our message this morning. And I want to put it on the screen. It's our first notes to fill in. We're not going to do many notes until we go through the passage. But I want you to do this one first because you're going to see this as the theme of chapter number four and chapter number five in the book of Daniel. And here it is. Pride plus time equals judgment. That will never change. That spiritual rule will never change. There's always going to be, when there's pride that is unconfessed and not dealt with, there will be a certain period of time, and, and that time is undecided. We have no, there's, no, there's nowhere in Scripture where it gives us an exact amount of time. But we do know that as, as citizens of this country, it sure seems like we've kind of run out of time. I mean, this week, nine people who said, I am a Christian, were killed in our country. It's in the news for a couple of days, and then it slips out because it'll be back in the news soon. Same story, just a different school, different city. You see, a nation that turns its back on God, a nation that feels as if it can operate without the word of God as its God, as this country was founded upon, what we find and what we're finding is that the pride of this nation has finally come to a place after a period of time to judgment. And I'm not sure that we can change that. I know we can't change it. I mean, it's going to happen. I don't know that America has another chance, but I do know this. I can change the pride in my life. I can do something about the pride that wells up in my life constantly. And I know this, that as, a, as the pastor of this church, I can, I can present this truth to you and you can examine your life. 
And you can examine your marriage and your home and your business and, and your worship team and, and your ministry and your life and, and, and whatever you're involved in. You can examine that and say, is, is there some pride that needs to be dealt with this morning? Because if it's not, I can assure you this will not change. Over time, judgment will come. There's just no getting around that. And eventually God says, that's enough. That's enough. I've waited long enough. I've put up with enough. And judgment comes. And that's what we have in the book of Daniel this morning. That's what we have. That's all we have is that. We have two stories. They're identical stories. The one begins in Daniel chapter number four, both dealing with the exact same thing. Details are different. Principles are exactly the same. So the headline for Daniel chapter four is this. Nebuchadnezzar is judged because of his pride. That's the headline. God judges Nebuchadnezzar's pride. Extra, extra, read all about it. Are you ready? Let's look at it. Daniel chapter number four. It begins with three verses of praise. And to be honest, these three verses of praise could have come at the very end of Daniel chapter number four. Because Nebuchadnezzar the king, verse one, unto all peoples, nations, languages that dwelt in the earth, peace be multiplied unto you. Nebuchadnezzar said, I thought it would be good to show the signs and wonders that the high God hath wrought toward me. How great are his signs, how mighty are his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. Now, this story that brought him to this conclusion, this conclusion, what we just read, here's the story that brought him to the conclusion that, that God is, is the high God, is the only God. Look at verse 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, I was at rest in my house. I was flourishing in my palace. Nebuchadnezzar seems to be in a real good place as far as prosperity is concerned. Doesn't that sound like he's doing really well in verse 4. But he has a dream. And the dream, the Bible says in verse 5, makes him afraid. And the thoughts upon his bed and the visions in his head troubled him. And he couldn't sleep. Therefore, because he couldn't sleep, because he had this awful dream. Sound familiar? Have you been in church over the past two or three weeks? Are we getting used to these dreams that Nebuchadnezzar has? So what does Nebuchadnezzar do pretty much every time? What does he do when he has a bad dream? He does what? He, he calls the astrologers. He calls the sorcerers. He calls the magicians, right? And he says, listen, guys, I, I've had a horrible dream. I, I need to know if you can tell me what is this dream all about. So they all come and they fail. And then, verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in. Daniel came in. And Daniel comes in, and, Belshazzar, and, uh, and, and his name, of course, was, was, he was given the name Belshazzar. You can see that in verse 9. And so the king tells Daniel the dream. Look at it in verse 9. Thus were the visions of mine head in my bed. Daniel, it's crazy, but I saw a tree. And it was in the midst of the earth, verse 10. And the height thereof was great. Daniel, this, this tree in my dream was was like huge. And it was like as tall as the earth. Well, if a tree is as big as the earth, that's a bigger tree than I've got in my backyard. Amen? I got a big one. 
You can see it several houses down. But this tree and this stream was a big tree. A tree that the whole earth could see. And it grew, verse 11. And it became strong. And the height thereof reached into heaven. And the sight thereof, the sight thereof to the ends of all the earth. The leaves were fair. The fruit was much. And in it was meat for all. The beast of the field had shadow under it. And the fowls of the heaven dwelt in the bows thereof. And the boughs thereof and all flesh was fed of it. I saw in the visions of my head upon my bed. I saw this, Daniel. So you got this tree. It's a huge tree. The whole earth can see the tree. It's got beautiful fruit and awesome leaves. And then this angel from heaven comes down. Isn't that what you see there in verse 13? I saw in the visions of my head a watcher, a holy one that came down from heaven. So this angelic being comes down and he cries and says, Chop down the tree. Cut off his branches. Shake off his leaves. Scatter his fruit. Let the beast get away from under it and the fowls from his branches. So we have a tree now, this tree, this huge tree, this awesome tree, this massive tree, and it's cut down. Nevertheless, leave the stump. So the stump is still there. The roots are in the earth, even with a band of iron and brass in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven. Still, uh, there's no protection over this. No more protection. It's wet with the dew. And let, and this is interesting to me, his portion. All of a sudden, it's no longer a tree. It's a person. Do you see that? It's, it's a person. Let his portion be with the beast in the grass of the earth. Let his heart be changed from man's and let a beast's heart be given unto him and let seven times or seven years pass over him. Verse 18, he says this, this dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. This is what I saw. A big tree, let's review, a big tree, right? Massive tree, as big as the whole earth, leaves, fruit, angel comes down, chops the tree down, Leaves the stump. The dew is on the stump, which means there's no protection any longer. Daniel, this is what I dreamt. And then the, the stump becomes a person. The person is filled with the heart of a beast. And, 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 and it goes crazy. This is a wild dream, Daniel. Can you tell me what the dream is? Look at verse 18. Now, O Belshazzar, declare the interpretation thereof. Verse 19. Then Daniel... He was astonished for an hour. He was blown away. He was appalled. He was sick to his stomach for one hour. Nebuchadnezzar tells him the dream, and for one hour, he's speechless. For one hour, it may have been like this, Dave. It may have been, I, listen, I, uh, whew. man, this is going to be, I don't, one hour. And his thoughts troubled him. Do you see it? And then the king speaks. speaks, And he says, listen, Daniel, don't let the dream or the interpretation thereof trouble you. Don't look so troubled, Daniel. And Daniel says, my Lord, the dream be to them that hate thee and the interpretation thereof to thine enemies. King, I wish I could tell you this dream was about somebody else. I wish I did not have to tell you 
what I have to tell you. But king, that tree, it's you. And king, you're going to be cut down. And king, you're going to lose your kingdom. Look at verse 22. It is thou, O king. It is thou that art grown and become strong. Thy greatness has grown. Thy greatness has reached to the heaven. You're the tree, but, but hey, king, dude, you're coming down. God's chopping you down. Pride plus time equals judgment. And then Daniel gives him some advice in verse number 27. Look at it. Wherefore, O king, here's my counsel. You want to know my opinion? You ask me for the interpretation? Here's my counsel. Break off your sins, king. Break them off. Turn to righteousness, king. Thine iniquities by showing mercy to the poor. And it may, it may be a lengthening of thy tranquility. King, this is my advice. Here it is, church. Listen to me. Don't miss this. King, humble yourself. Husband, husband, listen. Husband, humble yourself. Wife, hey wife, your marriage is struggling. Humble yourself. Hey friend, hey coworker, hey church member. Humble yourself. That's the advice. Humble yourself, King. There's still time. There's still time. But judgment's coming. Now look at this. This is incredible, church. Verse 28. All this came upon the king Nebuchadnezzar. All of this came upon him. 25 to 30 years after the fiery furnace, this is taking place. How soon King Nebuchadnezzar forgot. How soon he forgot about the three Hebrew children who, who escaped the fiery furnace. And Nebuchadnezzar declared that God is Lord and God alone should be worshipped. How soon he forgot. How soon do we forget? How soon do we forget the decisions we make? How soon do we forget a sermon like this? How soon do we move on from Daniel 4 and Daniel 5 and that great truth? How soon do we just move on and say, you know what? Another sermon, another Sunday, another message. Now back to life as usual. How soon do we do that? How often do we do that? I say to you, church, as as loving as I can, probably every Sunday. And this Sunday needs to be, this Sunday's got to be different. It's got to be different. This is the key. This is it. This is how we begin to heal relationships. This is how the nation begins to be healed. It is when God's people humble themselves. Don't miss it. Verse 29. And at the end of 12 months, 12 months, whoa, did I just read that right? I know I did because I preached at 9 o'clock, and that's exactly what it said at 9 o'clock. 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. 12 months, he, from hearing Daniel's advice, from verse number 27 to verse 29 is one year. One year. And at the end of the 12 months, he walked in the palace of the kingdom of Babylon. And the king spake, and here's what he said. Is not this great Babylon that I have built for the palace of the kingdom of the might of my power and for the honor of my majesty? While the word was in the king's mouth. I don't know if Cliff Kaufman's here, but if he is, he's got an old saying he taught me. And I've never forgotten it. I use it often. He says, preacher, it don't take the Lord long. 
God doesn't mess around. While the word, while the king was going, my majesty, my kingdom, my might, my power, while all of that was going on, while it was coming out of his mouth, here's what happened. Look at verse 31. There fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to thee it is spoken. The kingdom is departed from thee. And they shall drive thee from men, and thy dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make thee to eat grass as oxen, and seven times shall pass over thee until thou know what uh, that the Most High ruleth in the kingdom of men, and giveth it to whomsoever he will. And the same hour was the thing fulfilled upon Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men. He ate grass as oxen. So the king now is in the field next to oxen, and the king is eating grass. God's lost his mind. And his body was wet with the dew of heaven. His hairs were like eagle's feathers. His nails were like bird's claws. For seven years, the king lost his mind. Several commentaries spoke of particular mental diseases and things that happened to him. He literally went crazy. Verse 34. And at the end of the days, at the end of the seven years... I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted up my eyes unto heaven, and mine understanding returned unto me. And I blessed the Most High God, and I praised and honored him that liveth forever, whose dominion is an everlasting dominion. And all the inhabitants of the earth, verse 35, are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Verse 36, at the same time, my reason returned to me for the glory of my kingdom, mine honor, and the brightness returned unto me. And my counselors and my lords sought unto me, and I was established in my kingdom, and excellent majesty was added unto me. He got his kingdom back. Somehow the mercy of God was extended to King Nebuchadnezzar. And after seven years of judgment, he repented. He got his kingdom back. Now, verse 37, I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven, all whose works are truth and his ways, judgment, and those that walk. And those that walk in pride. And those that walk in pride. He is able to abase. And those that walk in pride, God is able to humble. Let's say that together with me. Say it. And those that walk in pride, God is able to humble. One more time. And those that walk in pride, God is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar said, I realize that. That that God is able to humble those that walk in pride. We all need to hear that this morning. Every one of us, from the youngest to the oldest, everyone needs to hear those words. Those that walk in pride, God is able to humble. Now, Daniel chapter 5 tells the exact same story, but a different headline. Here's the headline. You ready? Extra, extra. Read all about it. God judges Belshazzar's pride. Look at chapter 5 with me, if you would, please. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast to a thousand of his lords and drank wine before the thousand. What's that sound like to you that's happening right now? It sounds like to me the king has a thousand people. They're all drinking booze. What's that sound like to you or what? It's a party. That's a pretty big party, isn't it? A thousand people. But we're drinking wine out of just rinky-dink glasses. So Belshazzar says in verse 2, While he was drinking the wine, he commanded to bring the golden and silver vessels from his father, Nebuchadnezzar. Really, it was his grandfather. That was often said in Scripture, father, but it was his grandfather, Nebuchadnezzar. He took out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might 
drink therein. And they brought these golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God, which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives, his concubines, they all drank in them. They drank wine. What did they do while they were getting drunk? I'll tell you what they did. They praised the gods of gold and the gods of silver and the gods of brass and the gods of iron and the gods of wood and the gods of stone and the gods of pornography and the gods of alcohol and the gods of drugs and the gods of sex. Just in case you weren't worshiping those gods, I thought I'd throw some in that we worship sometimes. And in the same hour, it don't take the Lord long. In the same hour, imagine this with me. In the same hour, this massive hand comes down and begins to write on the wall. This was crazy. This was a day when God was doing supernatural acts like this. So this hand comes out of, out, of, out of the sky. Look at this. In the same hour came forth fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. Then the king's countenance was changed. He went from a drunk, wild stupor, living it up, partying, and his thoughts troubled him so that the joints of his loins were loosed. He got sick to his stomach and his knees smote one against the other. Now, the next thing he does is what his grandfather would do every time. Hey, I need all the magicians and the Chaldeans and the sorcerer. I need everybody to come and tell me what in the world is he writing on the wall. This is nuts. I need, I need all the smart people, the wise men. Come and tell me, what does that say? And guess what? Anybody want to guess? Exactly. They didn't know. So guess what? Anybody want to guess? Daniel. But the king, it's interesting, Belshazzar didn't ask for Daniel. For some reason, he was so troubled in his mind, he didn't remember what Daniel could do. So the queen, the king's mother, calls and says, Hey, king, um, there's a dude named Daniel. He's really good at stuff like this. Like, really good. Like, your grandfather would call him all the time. And he would just like know exactly what his dreams were about. I bet Daniel could tell us exactly what that says. And so Belshazzar says, go get him. Go get him. And so look at verse 13. Then Daniel brought in before the king, and the king spake and said unto Daniel, a bunch of nice things. Daniel, I heard you're pretty awesome. I heard you're really a cool dude. I heard you're like really smart. Uh, The queen tells me that, you know, you you can do this. Verse verse. Look, verse 16. I've heard of thee, that thou can make interpretations and dissolve doubts. Now, if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, here's what I'll do, Dan. I'm going to clothe you with scarlet. I'm going to put a chain about your neck, and you're going to be the third ruler in the palace. How do you think, Daniel? That's pretty good, isn't it? So you tell me what's on the wall. You get a brand new set of clothes. You get a beautiful gold necklace. And I'm going to elevate you to the third ruler in the palace. I love this. Dan answers and says in 2015 language, been there, done that, not interested. Let thy gifts be to thyself and give your rewards to another. But I'll go ahead and tell you what it means if you want. I love it. Do you see that? Verse 18. O thou king, 
What does he normally say right there? Oh, king, what? Live forever, right? If you've been reading the book of Daniel, you notice that whenever you address the king, you always say, oh, king, live forever. Even Daniel said, oh, king, live forever. Problem. Daniel only said, oh, king, because Belshazzar is going to be dying in about 15 minutes. So it might not be good to say live forever on this one. <laughs> Thou most high, the most high God, verse 18, gave Nebuchadnezzar thy father a kingdom and majesty and glory and honor. And for the majesty that he gave him, all people, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he slew. And whom he would, he kept alive. And whom he would, he set up. And whom he would, he put down. Nebuchadnezzar was one bad dude. But when his heart was lifted up, Mr. Belshazzar, and his mind hardened in pride, he was deposed from his kingly throne. And they took his glory from him. And he was driven from the sons of men, and his heart was made like the beast, and his dwelling was like the wild asses. And fed him, they fed him with grass like oxen, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, till he knew, finally, he knew that the Most High God ruled in the kingdom of men, and that he appointeth over it whomsoever he will. In other words, every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Eventually, every knee shall bow. Now, verse 22, you've got to circle this one. It's pretty, it's pretty intense. And thou, his son, O Belshazzar, hast not humbled thine heart, though, this is, this is critical to know, though thou knewest all of this, everything I just said you knew. Everything. Listen to me. How many of us know what's right, but we don't do it? How many of us, we've been raised in a Christian home, or we've been to church, or we're hearing this sermon and other sermons. How many of us, we know it, we've seen it, we know this nation's in trouble, we know judgment is coming, we know it, we know that humbling ourselves is the only answer, we know that pride is going to destroy us. How many of us know all that, but do nothing about it? You knew all this. And you did nothing. But it's lifted up thyself, verse 23, against the Lord of heaven. And they have brought the vessels of the house before thee. And thou and thy lords and thy wives and thy concubines have drunk wine. And thou hast praised the gods of silver, gold, brass, iron, wood, stone. Which see not, nor hear, nor know. And the God in whose hand thy breath is. Everyone take a breath right now. Everyone take a breath. The God in whose hand your breath is. Belshazzar, you are breathing because of the God you curse. You are breathing and you don't even worship the God who gave you breath. And these other gods, they can't hear, they can't see, they're dead. Verse 24, then was the part of the hand sent from him, and this was the writing. Many, many tickle you farsi. Many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tickle, thou art weighed in the balances and art found wanting. Paris, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes 
and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and they put a chain of gold about his neck, and they made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And in that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. Because pride plus time equals judgment. Eventually, God says, that's enough. Two stories, the same message. Now, let's give you the notes. Pride. What is pride? Pride is the attitude of heart which exalts itself above God and above others. Write that down. Fill in your notes. Pride is the attitude of heart which exalts itself above others and above God. So we think about our nation and we think about what happened in Oregon a few days ago. Are you a Christian? Let's blow your head off. Just a few hundred miles away, a few thousand miles away on our homeland. Somebody walks into a building, kills a bunch of Christians. It's coming. It's here. It's going to happen in another city soon. It's just that's pride plus time equals judgment. It's not me. It's just what happens. It's a rule. It happens. It's not going to change. But what about the destruction of you and I? What about the pride in my life? What about the pride in your life? You know, it's easy to point the fingers at others. But we got three pointing back at us. And so I don't really want to talk about the pride in America today. I want to make it really applicable. I want to talk about the pride in Erica Pacey's life. I want to talk about the stuff I struggle with. I want want to talk about the pride in your life. Let's deal with the pride in our own lives. We all have pride in us. And yet there's something subtle about pride, isn't there? Don't you agree with me? There's something subtle about this pride. Because the more aware of it you are, the more you're able to deal with it. In other words, those this morning that are saying, I struggle with pride, it seems to be easier to deal with it when you're more aware of it. But those that say, I really don't have a problem with it. You're probably the ones who have it more than the others. Because when you're not aware you have pride, it seems to be harder to deal with the pride that you really have. It's so subtle, isn't it? So I want to give you five scriptures on the screen. I want to let God speak into our lives this morning. What does God think about pride? Let's just see what God says. Proverbs chapter number 6, verse 16 and 17. These six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him. Number one, God hates a proud look. A proud look. God hates that look. That look, Kim. You know, you know the look. We give it all the time to people. <laughs> and whatever. You know, Sean, sometimes when we roll our eyes at our wives, like, oh, here we go again. That's a proud look. It happens on a daily basis sometimes to me. I mean, I do that sometimes. You know that look you give when your boss is asking you to do something? You're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. You know the look sometimes you give when you hear a sermon? Like, I'm starving. That look. God looks at your face and says, I hate that. I 
take that look. I wish they would stop looking like that, like they're better, like they're entitled, like they know more. God hates that look. Number two, what does God say? Secondly, God says in Proverbs 15, 25 that he tears down pride. God tears down pride. The Lord will destroy the house of the proud. He will destroy the house of the proud. Now, I live at 621 3rd Street. God's not, I don't think God's speaking about that house. I, I, don't, I don't believe the scripture here is teaching us that my walls are going to come down because at times I'm very prideful dad. And at times I'm a very prideful, wicked husband. I think what God's saying here is the Lord destroys the household of the proud. Do you know how many marriages have been destroyed because of pride? Do you know how many children have run away from home and left their heritage and walked away from God because of pride? Do you know how many families are in complete disarray and splattered all over the place and there's, there's, there's no God there because of pride? God destroys the household of the pride. And I'm convinced that families need to be humble so they can stay together. Number three. By the way, there's a lot of Bible examples, just in case, like Samson, Saul, and Solomon. That's just like S in the Rolodex. There's a lot of others, too. Number three, Proverbs 16, 5. Everyone that is proud in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Everyone. Everyone that is proud in his heart. In other words, abomination means this. It makes God want to vomit. That's what it means. You see, sometimes it kills me because sometimes people will say, Brother Eric, you know what? You preach too hard. And I'm like, me? When's the last time I said you make me want to vomit? I mean, if I said that, sometimes your living makes me want to vomit. You'd leave my church. You'd never, our church, not mine. It's God's church. You'd never come back to this church. You'd say, that preacher's lost his mind. Can you believe last week? He said, my living makes him want to vomit. No, actually, God, God said it. I'm actually a pretty nice guy. I don't have the guts to say that. I mean, I need a paycheck this week. Honestly, that's, that's just, that's like, God, no, no, that, that, too late. <laughs> no, God's right. My proud heart makes God want to puke. Pretty hard preaching, isn't it? At least it's coming from God, and we can't argue with it, right? What about Isaiah 13, 11? God says, I'm going to put an end to pride. I'm going to punish the world for their evil and the wicked for their iniquity, and I will cause the arrogancy of the proud to cease. I'm going to put an end to it. Pride plus time equals what? Judgment. James 4, 6. The Bible says that God resisteth the proud but gives grace to the humble. God resists prideful people. I want help with getting a job. I want help with my finances. Oh, man, I want help with finding a wife. I want help with finding a husband. I need help, God. Sorry. I don't help prideful people. I don't help prideful. I resist you. 
You can ask for all the help you want. You're not getting any of it. You're too prideful. God resists the proud. But God gives grace to the humble. Wow. Isn't that amazing? This is serious stuff. So when are we most vulnerable to pride? Let me give you the first thought here. Number one, during times of prosperity. During times of prosperity. What kind of day was Nebuchadnezzar living in? Look at Daniel chapter 4 and verse number 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at rest in mine house and flourishing in my palace. Church, is this a true statement? We live in a prosperous nation. If you don't think we live in a prosperous nation, you, you have no idea. You have no idea what's happening today with refugees flooding in by the millions in Europe, by third world countries where they haven't eaten anything but rice, if that, for decades. You have it good. And you are more vulnerable to pride, and I am more vulnerable to pride because we live in a nation. Listen, I watched ESPN yesterday. I was sitting in my living room. at 7 o'clock at night, and I'm going back and forth to three SEC football games. I'm watching LSU beat Eastern Michigan. I'm watching Arkansas beat Tennessee. Can I get an amen? And I'm watching Florida drum Ole Miss. I'm watching all three. Okay, so while I'm watching all three, sitting there back and forth with my remote-controlled television and satellite TV in this very hard country where it's just hard to survive. Click, 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 click. Stupid commercial. Come on. (laughs) And all of a sudden, they announced the attendance at the Tennessee game. 101,000 people came to this game. 101,000 people. Average ticket was like, you know, 80 bucks. They go to the Arkansas, that was the Arkansas game. They go to the, um, the LSU game, and they announced the attendance. It was packed out, you know, 80,000. They go to the, what is the other one I mentioned? Florida. Oh, yeah, Florida. The, that, that swamp, 101,000 people can fit in that stadium. Packed. So while I'm watching three different games at the same time, just three, there are 300,000 Americans times 10 of the population of our city. In three stadiums, let's forget about the other 67 games. On a Saturday, full, cheering on men running around with pigskin trying to escape other players in our prosperous nation called America where we've got it so good that it, we're very vulnerable to pride. Nebuchadnezzar, I'm prospering. I'm in my palace. Man, I got it all. What about Belshazzar? What's he doing? Oh, he's, he's having a party with a thousand people getting drunk. I said, that's pretty, that's pretty prosperous. A thousand people at a party. I mean, good night, when I have a birthday party, it's Little Caesars pizza and water. And I think that's pretty good. It's a thousand people having all the booze you want in the palace. We live in a prosperous generation in a prosperous part of the world, and we need to be very concerned about that. How much danger are we in to think too highly of ourselves? You know what we need to be thinking? Man of sorrows. Lamb of God, by his own betrayed, 
The sin of man and wrath of God has been on Jesus laid. Silently he stood on that cross. You know what Jesus got for us? He got what? He got lower. You know what you and I need to do? Get low. We're way too high. We think way too highly of ourselves. John 3.30. He must increase. I must decrease. When are we vulnerable to pride? During times of self-importance. Nebuchadnezzar and Belshazzar were very, very caught up in themselves. I am the mad. I am this. I am that. I'm right. You're always wrong. I'm the best. I'm better than you. I'm white. You're this color. You're this. You're that. I'm better. I live in America. We're better than the rest of the... Entitlement, self-importance. We get that way. Let me give you some examples of times when you kind of feel like you're being invaded. When you're praised by others, you're more vulnerable to pride. When your rights are violated, I just not get in my way. I don't like this. I want my way. When your actions are criticized, you know what? I, I really, I think I can do that better. Oh, really? You think you can do it better, huh? Pride, right? You ever been, you ever been criticized and just, what do you want to do? You want to defend yourself, don't you? I'm better than you. When your needs go unmet, my wife just doesn't give me what I want. When your, re- when your reputation is slighted, oh, I cannot believe they said that about me. Who do they think they are? I'm going to shoot them an email. Give them a piece of my mind. When you're caught in a fault. I'm not as bad as other people. Leave me alone. I have to do what I want. Everybody okay? These are times when pride show themselves, show, shows itself up. When are we vulnerable to pride during times of rebellion against God? What is rebellion against God? It is knowing to do right, but refusing to do right. Knowing to do right. For instance, how many of us know we ought to give our tithes and offerings, but we still don't do it? That's rebellion against God. How many of us know we should read our Bibles and pray, but we don't do it? That's rebellion against God. We know to do something, but we don't do it. That's rebellion. So what about humility? Let's talk about that in closing. What are some ways that we can humble ourselves? Where there are 71 verses in the Bible dealing with humility. 71. And what's interesting is, not one of those verses command us to be humble. Not one. We're commanded in the Bible to love. We're commanded in the Bible to be kind. We're commanded in the Bible to have faith, right? Brother Butch talked about that. We're commanded, have faith in God. But we're never commanded to be humble. In other words, think about it. Be humble. Let's do it right now. Come on. Let's all of us just be humble. Ready? One, two, three. I'm being humble right now. Feels good, doesn't it? Feels good just to be humble. Humility is not a feeling. It's an action. That's why Scripture says, humble yourself before God. It's something you do. So how do we do this? It's not a feeling. It's not just something we say, I'm going to be. No, this is something you do. How do you do it? Number one, you do it by repenting of your sin before God. 
you humble yourself and say, God, I'm sorry. 2 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 10. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. God, I am wrong. I'm wrong, God. I'm sorry, God. I repent, God. I'm truly sorry for the way I've been. That's humility. Number two, by verbalizing your need for God. By verbalizing it. What does the scripture say in John 15, 5? For without me, ye can do nothing. Someone says, well, I have a little something. I have a little something. No, no, you have a little pride. That's what you've got. Anybody here that thinks they have a little something has a problem with pride because you have nothing. You are nothing. You know what we need to do? We need to get to the place where we're constantly reminding ourselves of that and asking God for help because without him, oh, no, no, brother, you've got it wrong. See, I'm good. I've got some things about me that are really good, like I pay my taxes, I don't cuss, I'm all these good things. The Bible says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. You see, anything good about you or anything good about me is only by the grace of God. So we just constantly say, God, help me. I can't do, I cannot be the kind of husband my wife needs. I am a lousy husband. I'm constantly messing it up. I'm constantly a jerk. I'm constantly selfish, God. It's ridiculous. I'm just the worst. And God, when I try to convince myself that I'm not so bad, or when I talk to somebody else who I think has got it worse than me, God, don't let me get lifted up with pride and all of a sudden think that, okay, I'm okay because I'm not as bad as that guy. No, no, God, I need help. I cannot be a husband without you, God. I mess it up. And for 27 years, God, every time I try, I mess it up. God, I can't be the husband Carol Ann needs me to be. I can't do it without I can do all things through Christ and only through Christ. Number next, by submitting your will to others. By submitting your will to others. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 5 says, Likewise, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. For God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves to one another. Eddie, I want to submit myself to you. I'm not better than you. You know, you, you know what the problem is with a church changing? The young people want to act arrogant and act like you old people are stuck in the mud. You don't know anything, and we've got it all together. And if you just follow the young people, you'll be okay. And then the old people get arrogant and say, well, bless God, these young people think they know it all. We're out of here. And guess what you got? You got old and young, a bunch of prideful, right? And so churches are splitting all over the country, and people are church hopping all over the country because the young are prideful, and the old are prideful, and the young want what they want, and the old want what they want, and there's no humility. And what we need is for both crowds to humble themselves and say, God, Joe needs to be saying, what can I do as a worship leader to bless you old people? Otis, you got a favorite hymn? 
what you like. Let's sing Amazing Grace next week, Joe. Let's sing Amazing Grace. Oh, so we're going to sing a song written 300 years ago, right? Your problem's pride. Let's sing a new song. Let's sing a new Hillsong song next week. It's called Thank You, Jesus. It's awesome. Oh, right. So we're going to sing another song we don't know the words to. I was looking and nobody was singing it last week. You know what that is? That, 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 that's pride. That's pride. So let's sing Thank You, Jesus next week. <laughs> And let's sing Amazing Grace next week. And guess what? Let, let's just be humble. I, I didn't even say that in the first service. <laughs> it's not my notes. I'm just telling you, this is the problem. The problem is pride. It's my problem. It's why I'm so lousy. It's why I, listen, I haven't done it this service. I've been good. But last service, I got prideful in the message. And at the end of the sermon, I had to get up at, at like, 10, 15, and apologize to the whole church because I got prideful in the message because this person in the church wasn't looking at their, at their Bibles, and I, I got prideful. I said, would you please look, look at your notes. I got arrogant, and I corrected them in the pulpit. Can you believe that? I'm preaching against pride while I'm being prideful. How many of you think this is an issue? It's an issue. I struggle with it deeply. And the thing that is changing my marriage right now more than anything is that I'm getting a hold and my wife is getting a hold of the pride in our lives. And after 27 years of marriage, we are beginning to realize that our problem has been pride. We're just humbling ourselves to one another right now. And it's not easy. It's like... Oh my goodness, I mean, submitting sometimes to her, I'm like, you know, I'm just submitting to her will. I, I, want to, I want to make her happy. I want to do what she wants to do. And I'm like, this is so stupid. I want to do something different. I know my way would be better. I know we'd have more fun. But, but, and so sometimes she doesn't even see me. I'm just humbling myself. I'm, I'm saying, okay, Eric, take a deep breath. Let her be right. Let her be right, you arrogant punk. You just want your way all the time, don't you? Let me give you number four. By dropping your guard with others. By dropping your guard with others. In marriage, this would just be learning to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need this relationship. I can't lose you, sweetheart. I don't want to throw this marriage away. I need you. I need us. We can't let this die. Not just for the kids, for us. Let's not just stay married for the kids. Let's stay married for us. I need you. I'm sorry. I'm going to drop my guard. I'm going to get real. I'm going to get authentic. I'm going to break down. I'm just going to get honest. I'm going to tell you what my struggles are. I'm going to tell you what my past is. I'm going to tell you why, I have, why I'm such a jerk sometimes. I'm going to talk. I'm going to open up. I'm going to tell you the truth. I'm going to get it out. Number five, by esteeming others more than ourselves. This is... Philippians 2, 3. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem 
other better. I mean, look at that. Let that sink in. Jordan, look at that verse. And let me say something to you. You are better than me. That's what I need to feel. I need to esteem this young man. I, I, don't, I don't need Jordan to think that he's come to Champion Baptist College to learn under the great Erica Pacey. Aren't you blessed? I could teach you some things, son. Can I be honest, real honest? Jordan, you've taught me some things. I'm learning from you. You see, I think sometimes we just think we're better. And the scripture says, let everybody think everybody is better than them. As a father, I'm trying to be very careful not to be an arrogant dad who knows it all. It's hard. It is. I'm trying to be humble and yet be the kind of dad God wants me to be. And you know what? I'm just thankful that my kids are all in church today and they love Jesus. It's not because of me. It's because God is humbling me. Pride plus time equals judgment. I can't change that, but I can change me. Let's humble ourselves. Let's humble ourselves. You say, Brother Eric, our nation's in bad shape. It is. It's horrible. Honestly, I like to talk to Dr. Grubbs about this because he's, he's a, a, got such wisdom. And, and, you know, Dr. Grubbs doesn't encourage me too much about our nation. I, I believe that Dr. Grubbs, after having lived a long time and studied and been, I think he's come to the place where he's even preparing me as a leader for a different America, for a non-Christian America. For an America that's going to be under serious persecution. So let's just say for a moment, things don't change in America. Why don't, why can't things change at Gospel Light? Why, why don't we, why don't we help things change at Champion? Why can't things change at 621 Third Street? Why don't we, for just a moment, quit looking at America and look at ourselves and wonder if it's, if maybe it's our, we're the problem. You know, let's humble ourselves. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning. It's, it's, it's not easy to preach this stuff because I'm the worst. I think I'm the most prideful person in this building. Honestly. If you want to look at somebody that...